All right, we're continuing our series now on the Apostles' Creed. What a great opportunity it is to recognize and, and to focus on the basic tenets of the faith. It is important what we believe and why we believe it and why it matters. And we are using the Apostles' Creed as our roadmap because the Apostles' Creed is universally recognized as, as the summary, the best summary of the Christian faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed because there are 12 tenets, 12 affirmations, assertions in the Creed, one for each of the original disciples. And so we have the Apostles' Creed. Today we are going to look at the phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, we've chosen as our text from John's Gospel, chapter 16. John 16, I'm going to read verses 7 to 14. These are the words of Jesus uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. Our custom is to stand as you're able to hear God's word. Thank you so much for that. Beginning at verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And may God inspire us through his word, through his spirit today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. As you know, the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We talked about Jesus last week. And now the third I believe affirmation in the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, right away, we notice something very important, and that is that the Apostles' Creed decisively, decisively places the Trinity at the heart of Christian proclamation. The Trinity is not some speculative doctrine that only theologians talk about. The Trinity lies at the heart of our faith, at the heart of our worship, if you will. So without the Trinity, all of the core doctrines of Christianity becomes incoherent. It's important that we see all three dimensions of the Godhead in place. God is great. He is almighty. He's, he's, he's self-described as, as the one who reigns from his throne. He is majestic and, and powerful in every way. And then Jesus we recognize as the one who has put on human flesh and has become humble and lowly of heart and willing to give of himself for us. He suffers and dies on the cross. And so on one hand, God is high and holy. And that's a dimension of God that's important for us to have. And on the other hand, we see God willing to be tender and compassionate through the person of Jesus Christ. So God dwells in these two different places. I'm convinced that unless we include all of the dimensions of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we will lose important dimensions of our faith and worship. For example, I think in America, we have churches who are Orthodox, they love Jesus, and they talk about Jesus a lot all of the time. 
But I, my concern is that we are, we are losing in the American church a sense of awe, a sense of wonder of the majesty and the greatness and the holiness of God. Am I making any sense to anyone? Let me put it this way. I think for many Christians, God has become domesticated and put in a box so that we can pull him out whenever we need him. He's, a, he's become a tiny little God. He's, he's been shaped into our own image. He, he's, a, he, he's got a big chair, but he's not, he doesn't quite fill it. He, he's, not a, he's not big and robust <laughs> as he should be. We see God as we think he is rather than God as he is. He's like a, a country club God. You know, it's kind of an exclusive, members-only kind of thing, out of convenience, you know, seasonally, during the holidays, or when I get in trouble, then I, then I have to rely on God. And so we have come to this kind of perspective. Let me just uh, quote for you Philip Yancey, one of my favorite Christian authors, and he observed, and I'll put this on the screen so you can see this, see if you agree with this statement. He said, we have domesticated angels into stuffed toys and Christmas ornaments. We've made jokes about Peter at the pearly gates. And even Easter has been tamed into plastic green grass and bunny rabbits. The awe of the shepherds and the reverence of the wise men have been traded for a jolly Santa Claus, tiny reindeer, and elves. Even Almighty God is referred to as the man upstairs. Worship has become synonymous with music. We need to catch a renewed glimpse of the glory and majesty of the triune God. You agree with that? That's where the amen goes in the sermon, if you agree with that. Amen. So the, the Trinity reminds us that God is great and that Jesus has died for us and that the Holy Spirit is available to us. And it's an important distinction. Islam, for example, teaches that God is solitary, not relational, not triune. That God is solitary and has no interest in revealing himself to us. Hinduism believes that the highest conception of God is abstract and impersonal, not a personal God who is known and knowable. Buddhism, for example, does not believe in, the, in an ultimate God at all, only lesser enlightened beings. So Christianity is the only major religion in the world that sees God in three persons. So the Trinity is unique to Christian proclamation. God in three persons, triune, tri uh, triunity, trinity, three persons, one essence, God in three persons, blessed trinity. Now today, what does it mean for the church to confess faith in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? You see on your outline in your bulletin there some points that I want to make. I always use fill in the blanks or almost always. And the reason I do that is so when you get bored, this may help you keep, keep alert because you know that you have to fill in the blanks. So let me just give you the first one, Roman number one. The Holy Spirit endues the church with God's authority. The Holy Spirit endues the church with God's authority. Now, let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force, not some inner energy cloud that floats around, you know, and hovers sometimes low enough to touch us and then raises up. No, no. The Holy Spirit is personhood, mind and will and emotion. A person. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is authoritative and, uh, and empowering with the presence of the living God. Let me remind you that the cross and the resurrection and the ascension is not where the gospel ends. 
We have the life of Jesus all the way to the ascension after death, but after that comes Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We read in our text in John 16 today, Jesus said, it's better that I go away, better that I leave, because then the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit can come. And the, and the Holy Spirit then is not just a spirit of Almighty God over the world, but, but now the Spirit of God is in the world, and the Spirit can exercise his authority in us and through us in the world. Let me give you some examples of these subpoints on your outline. A, the Spirit empowers us and sanctifies us for effective service and witness. We need the Holy Spirit's help to serve. In Acts chapter 2, this depicts the day of Pentecost, and so we see the functional value of knowing and relating to the Holy Spirit. B, the Spirit intercedes with us and within us, teaching us effective prayer. Romans chapter 8 says sometimes we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us, helps us to pray. So the Holy Spirit helps us pray. C, the Holy Spirit teaches, instructs, and admonishes us as we read the Scripture. Our text again from John 16, uh, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will not speak uh, on his own accord, but he'll speak what he's heard from God and from me and reveal it to you. D, the Spirit applies and nurtures the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the character of Christ. Yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How many of you need more love in your life? Raise your hand if you need more love in your life. I do. How about joy? Anyone need more joy? Let me tell you one of the curiosities of my life, how cheerless Christians seem to be. What's that about? What is that about? Where's the joy? Come on now. We need more of the fruit of joy. How about peace? Anyone here need more peace than you have? Yes. How about patience? How many need patience? And you need it right now, right? <laughs> Snap it up if we can. <laughs> In 2003, my wife Beth and I built a home. I don't know if you've ever built a house, but uh, it's, it's an ordeal. It's, it's quite, a, it's quite a, an operation. I am a, I'm very picky, personally, finicky. You know, I like, I like things to be done right, a little OCD. Um, I do fine as long as I stay on my medicine, so, I, so I'm careful about that. And we built this house, and it was extremely, therefore, very, very stressful for me. Now, Beth loved it. She enjoyed every second of it. She thought it was the greatest thing ever. But I just, uh, the pressure just kept building. I had actually anticipated the last weeks of the build of our house, and I had worked way ahead in anticipation that building a house was a full-time job, and I wouldn't have time to write good sermons. And so I put nine sermons in the can and ready to go, for those last nine weeks of the build, and in my, uh, in my unawareness, I actually decided to preach a whole series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So all those were in the can. And then on a Friday afternoon, I went to our house, and I'd had a conversation with the general contractor. We were at the end of the build. They were installing our new kitchen cabinets, beautiful cherry cabinets, custom cabinets. They were just beautiful. And and finishing the flooring and the final details and, and so forth. And I had said to the general contractor when he asked, do you want me to paint your ceilings? And, and I, I just thought, it's so late in the building, and I, I don't want paint going on now that you know, so much of the finish is, is occurring. 
So I said, eh, they look good enough, let's not paint them. They're going to be white anyway, just leave them, leave them that way. And so I clearly communicated, do not paint the ceiling. Well, on a Friday afternoon, I got off work, I went to the house to discover the painter had loosely covered the new cabinets and was spray painting the ceiling. Had just gotten, gotten started. And he turned around when I walked in, he was completely white. This atomized paint out of his spray gun had fallen down and he was completely, the only thing that wasn't completely white were his eyeballs and his nostrils. Everything else was white. His face was white, his hair was white. I turned to him and you know, the, the pressure, the stress had just been building, 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 building. Right up to the, right up to the edge. And then it went over. And the top blew off. And I wasn't wearing my what would Jesus do bracelet. And so I, <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't look at my bracelet and think what would Jesus do. And frankly, I didn't care what Jesus would do. <laughs> and I lost it. And I wore him out. I wore him out. Now, I, I am happy to report I did not curse. But that's about all uh, I, didn't, I didn't do. And so, and so uh, after I wore him out, I, I immediately got on the phone with my general contractor, and I wore him out. Just wore him out. Now, you think that's funny. This is God's sense of humor toward me. As you, as you know, I had all these sermons prepared ahead of time. I wasn't even thinking about sermons or preaching because I knew it was in the can. So I show up on Saturday night. The next day, I'm still hungover from, from the explosion. And I walk in my office. I open the file. Guess what I had to preach on that weekend? The fruit of patience. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? That's hilarious. That's horrible. I walked, walked in Sunday morning into the sanctuary for the first service, walked right in, and one of the ushers looked at me and said, Oh, Pastor Greg. I am so happy you're preaching on patience today. Uh, I need more patience so bad. I'm so glad you're going to talk about this. And I looked at him. Of course, he didn't know any of the backstory. I just looked straight at him. I said, don't listen to a word I say. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I just kept walking. He went, Pastor. I had to preach all weekend on patience. It's big joke's on me. <laughs> but we need more patience, don't we? What about self-control? That's a fruit of the Spirit. This is an activity of the Holy Spirit. And when we call on the Holy Spirit to do His work in us, He will cultivate in us the character of Christ. And we will actually grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Can you feel that? Gosh, we need more of that, don't we? And so that's the work of the Spirit. And then E, I'll give you this for those of you who have to get all the blanks filled in. The Spirit gives us direction and guidance in life. Yeah, the Spirit will guide us. So indeed, our lives, our vocations, every breath literally becomes a radiant reflection of God's work in and through the Holy Spirit. God is at work in us in the here and now. Now here's the second point I want to make. If we are to confess faith in the Holy Spirit, we will know that the Holy Spirit empowers the church for global mission. The Holy Spirit empowers the church for global mission. Just prior to the ascension, Jesus told his disciples, now imagine this, Jesus suffered and died, 
The third day he rose from the dead. People saw him alive and then dead and then back alive. Jesus made appearances after the resurrection for some 40 days. 40 days. He would appear. He would disappear. He was in this glorified body. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. We're all going to have bodies like that someday, just like Jesus. Glorified, special capacity. And, and he, would, he would sit down with folks. He would talk with folks. He would share meals with folks. That's a very exciting part of it for me. Just knowing that in my glorified body, I'm going to be able to eat. I mean, heaven wouldn't be heaven without food, right? How many of you like to eat? Anyone here besides me? I love to eat. My dad, I get it from my dad. My dad loves to eat. He bought funeral plots for, for he and my mother recently. And uh, the, the, the cemetery where he bought funeral plots in, in Lafayette is a theme cemetery. You know, you got the Sermon on the Mount section and the, and the, and the Garden of Gethsemane section. And then there's a section called the Lord's Supper. That's where he bought plots. He said, so I want to make sure there's plenty to eat in my section. I said, that's hilarious, Dad. That's really funny. But he actually did it. So we're, when he dies, we're going to put him in the ground right there in the Lord's Supper section. And we will laugh. It'll be great. It'll be fun. So all of that to look forward to. But Jesus... Jesus appears to hundreds of people after the resurrection before he ascended to heaven. And one of the things he said to the boys and girls before he ascended was found in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Do not leave town until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I love the King James from Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, it says tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. You know, love that stuff. Love it. And in verse 5, he says, because you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so he ascended, and they went, what did he say? He said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So they went to the upper room, 120 men and women. You remember the story from the day of Pentecost. And 10 days later, they waited 10 days, and the Spirit came upon them. And it changed their lives. Jesus said, don't do anything. Don't say anything. Don't try anything. Don't attempt anything. Don't try to fulfill the mission. Don't try to do anything on your own. Wait until you receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then three verses later in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so he was giving them a tactical a tactical mission strategy. First in Jerusalem, reach people, same culture, same place, just like you, where you are. Where you are, people like you. These are people you go to class with. These are people that you live with in the neighborhood. These are people that you work with every day. These are your associations. Reach your Jerusalem. Then he said Judea. Judea wasn't just an ever-increasing circle. Judea was actually the same culture, wider region. And so these are people outside of our immediate area who are like us culturally. This is the tactic. So this is why we plant churches in Marietta, Ohio, and in Fort Collins, Colorado, and now Cape Coral, Florida. And God is opening doors of opportunity. And this is, this is our Judea. And it's a tactical part of our mission. And then Samaria, he said. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria was same region, different culture. These folks had a different 
cultural background, ethnicity. And so he said, reach people in your region who are culturally different than you. And so tactically that means go to the inner city, go to, go to people who are poor and marginalized and drug addicted, different culture, same region. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, that's Kazakhstan. And did, did you know that we have friends and people that we pray for and financially support who are working in North Korea? That's what, North Korea. We have people in North Africa working that we know and support financially. We pass these offering buckets every week. It's supporting people who are reaching people in Morocco and Algiers and Bahrain. Very difficult and dangerous place to preach the gospel. We have people in Turkey. We have two families from Union Chapel who live full-time in Turkey, reaching Muslims there. We have people in China, people in India, and, of course, people in Kazakhstan. Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, the ethnos, so every tribe and language and people and nation are going to hear. There are approximately 24,000 different ethnicities in the world where people are divided by culture or language or, or, or special qualifiers of culture. And, and these are people groups that God has called us, the church, to give a compelling witness to in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to realize that this work is part of the mission. This is the mandate. The missiologists in our world today speculate that of the 24,000 different ethnicities in the world, about 6,000 of them are yet to be reached to have an authentic witness of the gospel in their culture. 6,000 people groups yet to be reached. There's approximately 1 billion people on the earth who have yet to hear the hopeful message of Jesus Christ. And we are called to go. Now, I'm your pastor. Let me prophesy to you. I prophesy this. Just as God is raising up men and women to plant churches in the United States, God is going to put on the hearts of people in our church to be involved, directly involved in going to places in the world that are very difficult where the gospel needs to be preached. See, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for people who will obey him in this kind of way. And God has looked at Union Chapel now for many years, and he knows that he can trust us. He knows that when he asks us to do something or to go somewhere, we'll do it. And so he said, I'm going to throw in with them. That's why doors of opportunity in church planning are opening all the, all the time, almost every day. It's a remarkable thing. It's an amazing thing to behold. I've told you some of the stories in recent weeks. But God is opening more and more doors all the time of opportunity because God looks at us and says, there are some people who will actually do what I ask them to do. And so I'm going to support them. I'm going to give them what they need to fulfill the mission. And God's going to speak to some of you. Now, you may not be called to go. Maybe you will be called to go. But you may be the parents of someone called. You may be the grandparents of someone called. And so my question to you is, will you be supportive of that sense of call that your child or grandchild has when they hear God calling them to a hard place and an unsafe place. Let me just remind you, God is not a God of comfort. He's a God of peace. And he may call you to a hard place. Wouldn't be the first time God's done that around here. But we know that the Holy Spirit empowers the church for global mission. 
Now, here's the last point I want to make. The Holy Spirit extends. How many of you knew it was going to start with the letter E? Some of you who are perceptive, filling in the blanks. Okay, four of you. The Holy Spirit extends the inbreaking of the new creation through powerful manifestations of signs and wonders. We like to talk about heaven. We like to talk about the finished work of God in heaven. Well, maybe they weren't healed here, but they'll be healed there. Maybe they weren't reconciled here, but they'll be reconciled there. Maybe, maybe uh, they didn't find the hope they needed here, but they'll find hope there. And of course, there's going to be a great there and a promised there. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the not yet and brings it into the already. He, he takes the already and brings it in to the not yet. And so what the Spirit of God will do is he will actually intrude and break in to our lives in the here and now and actually manifest himself in miraculous ways. He will transcend the natural order and he will do things that we did not expect and can be termed miracles. It's an amazing thing. Signs and wonders happen. They happen all around us. They happen all the time. And God is at work. If I were to ask you today to describe a miracle that's happened in your life or your family, I bet virtually everyone in this room could say, let me tell you a story about what happened to me, what God has done for me or my family. It's an amazing thing. Four, four years ago, we uh, did a series here called uh, Before I Die. Some of you will remember that, Before I Die. And that, that was a theme that we used all over the city. We actually put boards up all over the city where people could fill in the blank. Before I die, I, and then you fill in the blank. It was very compelling. You know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to have? What kind of influence do you want to create before you die? What do you want to become before you die? It's a great question, isn't it? Before I die, what do I want to be, have, and do? And so we, we talked about that. Our, our uh, worship attendance increased by 400 people during that series. It was an amazing effect. And we had individuals who actually shared their testimony with us. And we, we picked people who, who were not well physically. Their health wasn't good. We actually had two or three people from our own church who were stage four or last stage kind of thing. People that if God doesn't intervene, they won't be with us much longer. And we, we actually stood them up here and let them talk about how they perceive death and what they want their life to be. And it was very compelling, very inspiring. Let me tell you one of these stories. Uh, one of the young women that we asked to talk to us was Carly Cook. Now, most of you know Carly. Maybe you don't. Carly was born with a genetic uh, mutation that, that affects her immune system. She had an older sister as well, had the same condition. And the immune system simply breaks down. And so people who are diagnosed with this mutation don't live very long because their immune system doesn't work and typically, before they're 20 years old, these children will die, usually of some cancer that their body hasn't been able to, to resist. And Carly's sister died when she was in her early 20s. And now Carly was suffering, had already been diagnosed with more than one cancer in her young life as a teenager, treated for cancer, chemotherapy, all that stuff, and was so weak four years ago that she 
wasn't sure she'd be able to stand up and give her testimony. We actually videotaped her because it was, she was so weak. And she told us what she thought about death and how she wanted to live with whatever time God was giving her. Now here's, now here's where the story breaks down with our theme. <laughs> she didn't die. <laughs> there was a last-ditch effort to save her life. This is all medical science knows to do with these kids, which is to completely obliterate their immune system with high doses of chemotherapy, put them in complete isolation, and then give them a bone marrow transplant. And her brother was the best match that we could find, not a perfect match, but the best we could find, and the bone marrow transplant, which had never worked before in one of the lives of these kids, worked. <laughs> and her immune system regenerated and is working. And all of her symptoms started to subside. And Carly came home and started feeling better and better and better. Now it's four years later. <laughs> and she's living a normal life. And she's well because God's not done with her. Yeah, it's, a, it's just great. I just think that's something. <laughs> so you don't know. You don't know what God's going to do. You don't know and I don't know. Listen, medical science, doctors are practicing their career just like everyone else. They're doing the best they can. But they don't know how it's going to end or when it's going to end. They just don't know. They're, they're just like painters. Some of them are good and some of them are just not good. <laughs> it's like everything else. So you have to trust in Jesus and his miraculous potential. Yeah. About 30 years ago, we had a young girl in our church. She was 16 years old and she was very athletic. And she developed this, this uh, problem that she couldn't get her breath. You know, she couldn't breathe well enough. She's playing soccer and just, just short of breath. And they did some studies with her and found that she had cancer, stage four cancer. She had a tumor in her chest the size of a football. That's why she couldn't breathe. There's no room for her lungs to expand. The size of a football. And this Leviathan tumor wrapped up her aorta all the way up into, into her esophagus, down all the way, wrapping itself around her organs, internal organs, her reproductive organs. She was she was in a dire situation. And the surgeons came in and said, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to try to remove as much of this tumor as possible. And then we'll have to study the cells to find out how to treat beyond that. She's 16 years old. And we just thought, well, this is not right. This is not good. It's not right. And we went to the hospital the day before surgery. And I remember circling up with some folks. There was just a handful of us there, and it was an interesting mix of people. You know, we didn't plan to all be there at the same time, but just people who cared about this young woman. And we circled up, and we began to pray for her. And one of the guys in the circle, he was a Pentecostal guy. He's not part of our church. He's a Pentecostal guy, and he started praying. And I can tell you verbatim what he prayed, because I remember it so poignantly. He, he prayed, Lord, I curse this tumor in our sister's body in the name of Jesus, and I command this tumor to die from the inside out in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, when he was praying like this, we just thought, man, that's a bold prayer. Wow, listen to that guy pray. And then 
you know, your, my faith kind of rose up like that. And I go, yeah, God, you know, yeah, what he said, do that. <laughs> and we blessed, blessed the family and we left. And the next day, the surgery went on for hours and hours. I mean, they just opened her up from top to bottom. And after hours and hours, the surgeon came out. He was exhausted and he tried to be as gracious and positive, hopeful as he could. But it was not, it was not good. Well, we got the main tumor out and we got as much of it as we could and had to t remove half of one of her lungs and take out her appendix and, and remove one of her ovaries. He said, she's, she said, he said, she's going to have problems and she'll never have children. You know, he just, he just laid it out there. Well, three days later, <laughs> the surgeon comes back after the pathology and of course, what they want to do is they want to take these tumors and, and dissect them and study them to find out what the cells are so that treatment can be prescribed. And so they'd done the pathology on this, on this girl's tumor and the big piece of it, they said, and they, they, I was there. And the doctor was scratching his head. He said, well, this is what we found. He said, this is very highly unusual, but when we cut this big tumor in half, you know what I'm going to say. When they cut this big tumor into, what we discovered is that the core of this tumor was dead and that the cells were dying from the inside out. See, when you treat cancer, you treat tumors, you hit it with chemotherapy, it shrinks from the outside in. Radiation outside in. So you want to shrink it all the way down to nothing. So, you know, you're, you're cured. That's the whole idea. Tumors don't die from the inside out unless they've been cursed in Jesus' name. <laughs> and that was 30 years ago. Let me tell you about this girl. She lives away from us now, but she comes back once in a while, and I see her. She got married. She lived a normal life. She's taught school. She's been an educator. She had two children. She's lived her life because Jesus intervened in her affairs through signs and wonders. Yeah. Let me give you one more verse. We have to stop. What time is it? I have to stop. Have to stop. <laughs> Jesus said through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.18, he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just, let me just say, don't be drunk with anything. Don't be drunk on opioids, or methamphetamine. Don't get drunk on alcohol. Don't get drunk on power. Don't get drunk on lust. Don't get drunk on money. Don't get drunk on material things and possessions. Don't get drunk on anything. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lay aside all the lesser things represented by the world and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can experience and live out the character of Christ and the power of God to influence others. Receive the Holy Spirit. The first two things any person should do when they come to faith is get baptized in water in obedience to Christ and pray to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for the admonition to follow you, submitted to your spirit, alive in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for us today that we would recognize our need. God, you have not given any of us the capacity to live the Christian life by ourselves. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, help us to recognize our need. Lord, we confess our sins today. You're right, we're wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. I've sinned. I confess all the sins that I'm aware of. And now I come to you in a heart of submission, of surrender. And I pray, Lord, fill me afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. My friend, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive, in Jesus' name, the touch of God through the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.